Evidence-based medicine shouldn't just be a catchphrase, it should be what we do. This is Clinical Pearls. Physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, medical assistants, we all recommend it. The influenza vaccine. And we are about to enter the flu season. But when actually asked a point... Physicians, nurses, physical assistants, MAs, nurse practitioners, we all recommend it. The influenza vaccine. Flu season is about to start. However, when we actually press a healthcare provider about some specifics about the flu vaccine, they actually don't know. So in this session, we're going to go back into our general medicine practice and go into the specifics about the influenza vaccine. What are the different types? Who can and who cannot get it? And is egg allergy actually a contraindication? Well, let's talk about that based on the CDC guidelines and the guidelines from the ACIP. Let's do that now. Influenza viruses typically circulate in the U.S. annually, most commonly from late fall through early spring, although the true influenza season is actually from October all the way into May. Most persons who contract influenza recover without serious complications or sequelae. However, influenza can result in serious illness, hospitalization, and death, particularly among older adults, very young children, pregnant women, and persons with certain chronic medical conditions. Influenza illness also is an important cause of missed work and school. Routine annual influenza vaccination for all persons who are greater than six months and who do not have contraindications has been recommended by the CDC and the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice, or the ACIP, and that's been in place since 2010. Let's get into the different types of vaccine before we get into some more vaccine specifics. Regarding the types, there is the trivalent vaccine. This is the regular standard dose trivalent shot, which typically includes inactivated influenza vaccines, also known as IIVs. These are egg-grown flu vaccines administered by needle into a muscle in the arm, usually the deltoid. Standard dose vaccines are for people who are aged 18 to 64. Then there's the high-dose trivalent shot. This high-dose vaccine, called Fluzone, is designed specifically for people greater than 65 years of age. Flu-related complications increase with age because older individuals can have a weaker immune system. There is also a special kind of trivalent shot that's made with an adjuvant. This shot, called Fluad, is another high-dose flu vaccine approved for people who are 65 and older, and it includes an ingredient called an adjuvant. This also creates a stronger immune system response. After the trivalent injections comes the quadrivalent vaccines. These are typically recombinant. The last category includes the live attenuated versions, and these are intranasal sprays. This vaccine is made using eggs and administered as a nasal spray. It includes a dose of attenuated flu virus. Now, instead of killed flu, the flu included in this vaccine is severely weakened, making it unable to cause a widespread infection. 
Regarding the live intranasal flu vaccine, there are some individuals who should not get this kind of vaccination or who at least should speak with a healthcare provider prior to receiving the intranasal version. Let's talk about this list. First are children who are younger than age 2 or children who are age 2 through 17 who are receiving aspirin or undergoing aspirin-containing therapy. On the other end of the spectrum, also on this list, are adults who are age 50 and over. Importantly, ACOG states that pregnant women should not receive the live attenuated intranasal vaccine. Also on this list includes people with weakened immune systems, children 2 to 4 years of age who have asthma or who have a history of wheezing within the last 12 months. Similarly, people who have taken influenza antiviral drugs like Tamiflu within the previous 48 hours should not receive the live attenuated vaccine. Individuals with medical conditions which may put them at higher risk of serious flu complications including those with chronic kidney issues, cardiac or lung disease or even some liver disorders should not receive the live attenuated vaccine version. Lastly, people who are moderately or severely sick should stay away from the live attenuated version. What about the timing of vaccination? Well, the timing of vaccination obviously is critical. Let's talk about that next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Regarding the timing of vaccination, balancing considerations regarding the unpredictability of timing of onset of the influenza season and concerns that vaccine-induced immunity might wane over the course of the season, it is recommended by the CDC that vaccinations should be offered by the end of October. Children aged six months through eight years actually require two dosages. Now, even though our podcast is geared for adults, that's an important clinical pearl that children aged six months through eight require two dosages. Their first dose should be given as soon as the vaccine becomes available, and then the second should be administered at or greater than four weeks later, but it still should be done before the end of October. Now, for those requiring only one dose for the season, early vaccination in July and August is likely to be associated with suboptimal immunity before the end of the influenza season, particularly among older adults. Community vaccination programs should balance maximizing the likelihood of persistence of vaccine-induced protection through the season with avoiding missed opportunities to vaccinate or vaccinating after the onset of influenza circulation. No recommendation is made for revaccination later in the season for people who have already been fully vaccinated. In other words, there's no need to provide a booster dose. Vaccination should continue to be offered as long as influenza viruses are circulating and unexpired vaccine is available. To avoid missed opportunities for vaccination, providers should offer vaccination during routine health care visits and even hospitalization. 
Although vaccination by the end of October is recommended, vaccine administered in December or later, even if influenza activity has already begun, might be beneficial in the majority of influenza seasons. Well, I think it's about time we get back to our business. Let's talk about influenza vaccination in pregnant women next. Pregnant women and postpartum women have been observed to be at higher risk of severe illness and complications from influenza, particularly during the second and their third trimesters. The ACIP and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommend that all women who are pregnant or who might be pregnant or postpartum during the influenza season receive the influenza vaccine. Now, any licensed, recommended, and age-appropriate, inactivated, or recombinant vaccine may be used. But the live attenuated version should not be used during pregnancy, and we covered that a little bit earlier in the podcast. Influenza vaccine can be administered at any time during pregnancy, before and even during the influenza season. Although there is substantial experience with the use of inactivated vaccines during pregnancy, data specifically reflecting administration of influenza vaccines during the first trimester are actually somewhat limited. Most studies have not noted an association between influenza vaccination and adverse pregnancy outcomes, including spontaneous abortion. Now, in true disclosure, one observational vaccine safety data link study, which was conducted between 2010 and 2011 and 2011 and 2012 seasons, noted an association between receipt of the inactivated influenza virus containing H1N1 and risk for spontaneous abortion in the 28 days following the inactivated influenza vaccine when the H1N1 containing vaccine had also been received in the previous season. However, here's the good news and the clinical pearl. Follow-up studies in this vaccine safety data link group have not shown any association between the inactivated influenza vaccine and any increased risk for spontaneous miscarriage during the 2012-13 to season, 2013 or 2014, and even the 2014-2015 seasons, regardless of previous season vaccinations. ACOG did release a statement back when that first association was found and based on the follow-up studies now concludes that that may have been a variant in the data because that risk or rather that association does not seem to be persistent or true. Now, there is substantially less experience with more recently licensed inactivated influenza vaccine products like the quadrivalent and the cell culture-based vaccine versions. However, there's no evidence at this time that any adverse pregnancy outcomes are to be concerned. We are wrapping up the podcast, but we have to cover two unique issues. And of course, one of them is the issue of egg allergy. But before we do that, let's briefly touch on Guillain-Barre. Persons with a history of Guillain-Barre syndrome after influenza vaccination are a special population. A history of Guillain-Barre syndrome within six weeks of a previous dose of any type of influenza vaccine is considered a precaution to vaccination. So remember that, and that's a clinical pearl. It's not a contraindication, but the CDC lists that as a precaution. 
persons who are not at higher risk of severe influenza complications and who are known to have experienced a Guillain-Barre syndrome within six weeks of a previous influenza vaccination generally should not be vaccinated. As an alternative to vaccination, persons might consider using influenza antiviral chemoprophylaxis for these individuals. Remember, these are those who are deemed not at high risk of severe influenza complications. However, the benefits of influenza vaccination might indeed outweigh the potential risks for certain people even if they have a history of Guillain-Barre syndrome within six weeks after receipt of a previous vaccine and who are also at high risk of severe complications from influenza. This is why the CDC and the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice calls this a precaution rather than a direct global contraindication. Now that we've covered that, let's cover the issue about egg allergy next. As in the case for all vaccines, influenza vaccines contain various different components that might cause allergic and anaphylactic reactions. Thankfully, those true occurrences are relatively small. Not all such reactions are related to egg proteins. However, the possibility of reactions to influenza vaccines in egg-allergic persons might be of concern to those persons and vaccine providers. Currently available influenza vaccines, with the exception of the recombinant flu block, as well as CC inactivated influenza vaccine 4, are prepared by propagation of virus in embryonated eggs and might contain very small trace amounts of egg protein, like oval albumin. Severe allergic reactions to vaccines, although rare, can occur at any time, even in the absence of a history of previous allergic reaction. Therefore, according to the CDC, all vaccine providers should be familiar with the office emergency plan and be certified in CPR whenever they give any vaccine. For persons who report a history of egg allergy, the Advisory Council of Immunization Practice recommends the following. Persons with a history of egg allergy who have experienced only hives or urticaria after exposure to egg should still receive the influenza vaccine. Now, here's a clinical pearl. For those people who report severe egg reactions, including symptoms other than just urticaria, and this includes angioedema, respiratory distress, lightheadedness, or recurrent vomiting, and even those people who required epinephrine or another emergency medical intervention may still receive any licensed recommended influenza vaccine. And these can include the inactivated influenza vaccine, the recombinant versions, or the live attenuated types. The selected vaccine should be administered in an inpatient or outpatient medical setting. Vaccine administration should be supervised by a healthcare provider who is able to recognize and manage severe allergic reaction. Now remember, that is in people who have a severe egg allergy, and the reason they can still get the vaccine is because the amount of egg protein in these vaccines is so negligible that it really shouldn't be an issue. However, that is different from those people who have had severe allergic reaction to the vaccine itself. 
a previous severe allergic reaction to the influenza vaccine, regardless of the component suspected of being responsible for the reaction, is in fact a contraindication to future receipts of the vaccine. So once again, an egg allergy alone is not an issue, but a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine itself definitely is. No post-vaccination observation period is recommended specifically for egg-allergic persons. However, the ACIP does recommend that vaccine providers consider observing patients, either sitting or supine, for 15 minutes after administration of any vaccine to decrease the risk of injury should syncope occur. And so that's for everybody. The ACIP recommends that vaccine providers consider observing patients either seated or supine for 15 minutes after administration of any vaccine to decrease the risk of injury should syncope occur. All right, that brings us to a wrap covering the specifics about the influenza vaccine. Thanks for being a part of Clinical Pearls. We'll see you next time on our podcast.